You're listening to 95.1 FM AM 1080 KYMN Radio in beautiful downtown Northfield, Minnesota. Good morning. My name is Rich Larson, and you are listening to Legal Talk with Justice Gordon Moore of the Minnesota State Supreme Court. Good morning, jo- Gordon. How are you, sir? Uh, great, Rich. It definitely has an October feel to it tonight. React, maybe even a November feel. I was going to say this. <laughs> this is like what you, what you you wake up to on Thanksgiving morning. Yeah, I mean, this it's, is uh, it's brisk out there, but it's great to be down at the station again for another episode of Legal Talk. Thank you, sir. It's good to ha- good to have you here. We always I always enjoy our conversations. It's uh, it, this has really been a uh, a a a a fun little project to be. Yeah, I on. hope the listening audience has also found something helpful uh, sure. or interesting about it. It's, you know, we try to hit issues that we think are of interest and, and frankly, it's a little hard to gauge sometimes, but we've got a few inter- interesting things to talk about this month. We do indeed. So, before we get into, we're going to talk about election law today. Uh, before we get into that, what's been, uh, what's been happening up at the Supreme Court this month? Well, we are getting back to what I would characterize as normal. Last okay. week, for the first time uh, in the time that I've been on the court since, literally, since March of 2020, we used our second courtroom in the Minnesota Judicial Center, which is a little smaller. That had been our Zoom courtroom during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It had been reserved for the Chief Justice only. But we were back in there. Generally, we're second week of oral arguments are there, and that was uh, that was uh, fun. It was actually fun to be the person who gets to knock on the door, because the junior justice in that can. <laughs> Configuration is the first one to enter the courtroom, so I had to fulfill that important responsibility. Uh-huh. Although the reviews were mixed as to how it went, frankly, so, I've got, so apparently I've got some work to do on knocking. <laughs> you got to work on your knock. <laughs> yeah, see, there's a debate of whether it's two or three and those sorts of things. Uh, and then, uh, really fun last Tuesday, Rich, we went to Shakopee for the traveling high school um, roadshow uh, oral argument mm-hmm. uh, that was uh, held before a very attentive and appreciative audience of high school students and staff at Shakopee High School, which uh, is uh, amazing. That school yeah. is something else. I had never been there. But uh, we argued a criminal case uh, that was chosen by the commissioner's office before uh, students, and, and it was a real argument. I mean, this mm-hmm. wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't fake. It was a real argument. And then after that, we came back out on stage, and the students could ask us questions one at a time. And so that happened for about 25 minutes, and then their culinary arts program uh, prepared just a wonderful lunch. And then we, uh, four of us stuck around for tours of the uh, of the facility, and then we talked to classrooms. And I got to oh, do that, and that was a blast. That's neat. That was yeah. really fun. I, you know, we got in and just to answer questions. College, you know, some of it was college prep material, others related to the work of the court, and and the students really did a nice job of thinking about you know questions that were relevant and important, you know, yeah. not kind of random yeah. or inappropriate things. So it, it worked. It, the staff at Shockby did a fantastic job on getting things ready, and it went as well as could be expected. I, I'm trying to think about how jazzed I would have been if uh, a Supreme Court justice had come in and talked to my 11th grade uh, uh, government class. And I, I think I probably would be talking about it to this day. It, you know, for some kids, you could tell it was really meaningful. The yeah. Shakopee has an academy model for their school where they divide their school up into six learning communities they call mm-hmm. academies. And they had students that really auditioned to be guides. Mm-hmm. Each justice had two uh, guides and, you know, very attentive and thoughtful, uh, you know, young people that really cared about what they were doing. And it was a great day, a good day for the court. I think the court felt really good about being back out in the road. It had been a few years. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
All right. So, uh, uh, what do we have coming up in November then? Well, November has, I would say, kind of a typical uh, array of, of cases. Starting October thirty first, we have some workers' compensation cases and some tax cases that probably aren't necessarily interesting to the general public, obviously very interesting to the people involved. Um, but I did select a couple of cases that I thought the audience might be interested in knowing about. On November 9th, uh, we are hearing the review of the Court of Appeals decision to uh, affirm in part and reverse in part a water discharge permit issued um, by the Pollution Control Agency to Polymet Mining for the oh. North Met Mining Project. Um, for those of you who aren't aware of it, um, uh, Polymet has proposed the first copper nickel mine in Minnesota yeah. in the vicinity of Babbitt and White Lakes on the Iron Range. Um, and there are a variety of permits, environmental permits, that state regulatory agencies have to issue in order for this mining operation mm-hmm. to commence. And mm-hmm. this water permit is a uh, water discharge permit in particular is a critical component of that. And so case is percolated through the administrative process up through the Court of Appeals, and now it lands on us. And to give you an indication of the level of interest, we have six outside groups that have filed amicus briefs or friend-of-the-court briefs okay. uh, advocating for their position on it. So some environmental groups, some more industry-related groups. And so we hear that on... Um, that's actually the last case of the November calendar on uh, Wednesday the 9th, and I think it merits that. It frankly probably merits you know, individual consideration that mm-hmm. day. I think it's mm-hmm. getting that. Um, the previous day, you know, we have we have cases that go the gamut, and I picked out one criminal case in State versus Douglas on November 8th, uh, Election Day. Um, we're going to consider whether unaltered tinfoil is a device, gear, or instrument designed to assist in shoplifting or defeat an electronic article surveillance system. Uh, The defendant there was accused of using tinfoil to preclude uh, a theft detection device from being activated. And so the question is, was tinfoil designed uh, as a device gear instrument uh, to assist in shoplifting on alter tinfoil. And so it's, you know, again, and and the grand scheme of the criminal cases in the state of Minnesota, um, you know, it's not a life or death issue, but for that, for, uh, uh, Mr. and Miss Douglas, uh, they were convicted of, of uh, shoplifting and, uh, you know, have a conviction on the record. And so yeah. the Court of Appeals issued a statutory interpretation analysis, and we're going to take that up on the 8th. And so that's, you know, kind of a unique little issue. Yeah. I, I, you can't comment on any of this, but I, I didn't can't. even realize that was even a thing. I, I just can't. <laughs> you know, the legislature... Uh, Let's just say that efforts to try to violate the law um, are, you know, have existed since territorial yeah. days, and the yeah. legislature sometimes is proactive and sometimes is reactive right. Right, in response right. to ways that people are trying to circumvent the law. And this uh, shoplifting device uh, statute may be one of those issues. But yeah, I can't say anything more about it other than to say live streaming. Uh, occurs every day we have oral arguments on and those are two cases that people might be interested in in popping in to listen to going back to this polymet case another another topic you can't comment on but i want to make a plug for another one of my shows about a month ago maybe six weeks ago on uh, public policy this week uh we had former governor arnie carlson on our show and he has uh some strong opinions on on the whole polymet and and uh actually mining in the uh the lake superior watershed all together and for those of you who are interested, I would I would uh, uh, direct you to the your favorite 
uh, uh, podcast platform or to KYMNRadio.net. Look up uh, public policy this week and uh, Governor Carlson's uh, thoughts on, there, on the polymed situation. There are a lot of intensely held issues, and one of the one of the parties involved is uh, you know the one of the Indian tribes that mm-hmm. uh, is a directly affected. Is it, is it Red Lake? That's I right think there? it's Boys Fort. Okay, I think it might be. I, you I, might. Yes, I, you I know, think you're right. My, you know, I haven't read that case yet, but I believe it is. So, you know, the bands have an interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the state has an interest. Obviously, you know, there's uh, union mining interest, yeah. and so it's it's complex. Uh, but obviously, the the welfare of the of the environment is critical. But I think what's really at issue in the polymet case is the process. Yeah, because you know, administrative agencies have a lot of authority. This has been a debate at the U.S. Right. Supreme Court level. Right. The so-called administrative state, you know, kind of uh, folks that are you know upset about how much authority has been delegated to administrative agencies, you know, elements or arms of the executive branch in order to make decisions on things like permitting. And mm-hmm. it's a very technical and specialized yeah. area involving yeah. science and and you know. You you are we delegate a lot of authority to those agencies, and the question is, what process are they using? How much public notice are they giving, and how are they considering the various questions? And right. then you know, on a, on review, one of the issues the appellate courts have to decide is how much deference or how much how much do we defer to decisions of administrative agencies regarding issues of sure. their expertise? Sure. And this is a big deal. Uh, yeah. The North Map Project is a big deal. We have yeah. had other cases in front of them, and so I'm sure that will have a lot of interest. To be clear, this is not a case that will decide if PolyMed is going to be able to mine in no. northern Minnesota. No, no, no. This is a permit. They have to have certain types of air and water permits in order to, right. to in order to be licensed to do the mining. Yeah. And and the discharge, the water discharge, is critically important because of you know the byproducts of mining. And does that leach into the watershed? And does that, as Governor Carlson uh, indicated, affect the Lake Superior watershed yeah. specifically? Yeah. So there's a ton of interest there uh, I, by have, parties up there. You just raised my eyebrows because that's something I'm I'm very interested in. I'm going to be paying close attention. I'm a, well, I'll even go on and uh, online and watch Check those, it out. those arguments. Courts.gov, Supreme Court, November so, 9th. Uh, so November 9th, yes. Yeah. So those our calendar. Uh, we have a, a variety of other interesting cases that we. Really don't have time to talk about, but uh, first two weeks of the month are the oral argument months, generally Monday through Thursday, the first week, and then Monday through Wednesday, the second week. Okay. Okay. So, um, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there's an election coming up here pretty yes. quickly, sir. Yes, yeah. there is. And the, the election season for the Supreme Court is is a really uh, in, intense one because, mm-hmm. you know, in addition to... Um, People being on the ballot, mm-hmm. full disclosure, including mm-hmm. me and my colleague Justice Hudson, uh, there are cases that come directly to the Supreme Court involving election issues. The Supreme Court has jurisdiction to hear um, what are called petitions to correct errors in ballots uh, under uh, state statute. And these have to be dealt with immediately because, you know, with ballot ballot printing deadlines, the Supreme Mm -hmm. Court has the obligation to give direction to the election official, Secretary of State, as to what to do. And so, yes, we have been busy. And these are not part of our scheduled docket. These right. are things that just pop up and they have to be dealt with immediately. Right. This is just people elbowing their way onto your uh, your schedule, basically. They are. And, and, well, and for exa- I'll give you a couple of examples yeah. of scenarios that we've had to deal with. Yeah. Um, um, 
we we deal with errors or, or omissions in the um, placement or printing of ballots in the name or description of candidates. Uh, we've got two cases pending right now that I am not part of because I'm, a, I'm on the general ballot where counties failed to include the word incumbent by judges, which is required, and failed to include party designations on other candidates. Oh, And then we there was a, a case in um, Ramsey County that we um, dealt with in October. Uh, in Ramsey County, ballots were printed that did not list the correct Republican Party candidate for House District 67A. Oh, really? Accidentally listed a person who had sadly passed away in August of 2022. The Republican Party had nominated a replacement, and it was just, just a glitch. Some of yeah. the ballots didn't include the, yeah. the appropriate candidate. So we had to fix that. Sure. Nobody was opposing it, but somebody has to do something about yeah. it. I want to, if you don't mind, I want to go back to one, just, I have a quick question about what you're talking about. Uh, when, 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 when you are given a question about uh, judges on the ballot and you are yourself on the ballot is that so you have to recuse yourself or are you just uh, uh, like automatically uh, 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 excused from that situation we, well two two answers to that on any case involving the ballot where a member of the court is on the ballot the mm. the court the members of the court that are on the ballot become respondents because under the law, the party seeking correction of the ballot has to serve every everybody who's on the ballot, including oh. the judges. Okay. And so you can't be deciding a case where you're, frankly, a party. Right. We are technically a party. So on these two ballot correction cases I just referenced from, uh, they're actually from Northwest Minnesota, I, I am recused from those cases. Okay. But we did have one ballot correction case, as you might remember, that involved... Um, recusal of the entire Supreme Court, and that was in 1992 when Alan Page filed a petition challenging the Secretary of State's refusal to place his name on the ballot in 1992 for the position of Associate Justice of the State Supreme Court. I had forgotten about and that. And it, it was, what had happened was uh, uh, Justice Yetka, Lawrence Yetka, was retiring, and Justice Yetka asked Governor Carlson to extend his term uh, of office to October of 1994. It would have ended in, uh, I believe, at the end of 1992 otherwise. And the Governor Carlson did issue that order, which was which was allowed under the statute, and that mm-hmm. eliminated the election for his seat on the 1992 Supreme Court ballot. Um, uh, Alan Page challenged that and won and got mm-hmm. on the ballot as a result of that and ended up winning, you know, yeah. handily. Um, but the entire court recused in that case because that involved membership of the Supreme Court. The uh, Supreme Court appointed seven district court or court of appeals judges to sit as the Supreme Court in that Interesting. case. Interesting. And that, uh, yeah, that was an example where we all got recused. So, yeah, yeah. And oh. we, we do have to be really careful about that because it's important, again, perception as well as the reality of justice that we're mm-hmm. not, you know, we're not viewed as having our hand on the scale in one way or the no, other. No, 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 you cannot. You cannot even give even remotely that appearance. Right. right. Other uh, challenges to uh, ballots this year have involved the byproducts of redistricting, where oh, yeah. uh, because of the changes in House and Senate districts, um, so, you know, some 
incumbents got, you know, sort of redistricted out of a seat and they mm-hmm. had to move within six months of the general election in order to establish residency in a new district to run there. And we've had at least two cases where challengers have alleged that the person claiming to live in District X didn't actually live there. Right. And so, you know, they had, you know, in one yeah. case, we actually appointed a uh, court of appeals judge to act as a referee to take evidence about, well, you know, what was the evidence? And there was photographs of, mm-hmm. you know, un mowed lawns and, you know, yeah. garbage cans not be, being emptied and things like that. And we've had a few of those. And that those things do happen after redistricting, particularly uh, where you've got boundary changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see here. Oh, one uh, petition that was from 21 was the challenge to the uh, language on the Minneapolis public safety ballot, the charter ballot, where the voters in Minneapolis were asked to amend the city charter to remove language regarding the police department and to replace it with the Department of Public Safety. And challengers asked for that to be stricken from the ballot because they claimed that the language on the ballot was misleading or Mm -hmm. inaccurate. Mm -hmm. The court denied that, and of course the ballot measure actually did fail. In, in a situation like that, um, the court, it, it, it's sort of a yes or no thing. The court can't, uh, would the court be able to amend the language to that uh, referendum itself? Or or would they just have to rule, yeah, that language is okay, or no, that language is not right? It really depends, Rich, on the circumstances of how much of it could be severed. If there's, I think there is the ability, if there's language that could clearly be removed, but it's generally a yes or a no. Yeah. I mean, it's the local ballot officials have worked on these things, and generally, you know, I think there's pretty good case law that, you know, the language doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, right. there's there's room for, you know, inaccuracies or, I guess, you know, subtle inaccuracies, but it has to convey the essence of the actual initiative. And that was part of the question there. The You know, I think we said it was perhaps imperfect, but it was it was sufficient. Okay. And um, and uh, we had a, there was in 2019, just to end this discussion, yeah. there was a... Um, City of St. Paul garbage referendum initiative that got a lot of uh, traction in the city of St. Paul. If the listeners know people that reside in the city of St. Paul, the hauling of waste and garbage is kind of uh, complex. And in 2019, we affirmed a district court order that directed the city of St. Paul to put a referendum question regarding the city's garbage hauling ordinance on the ballot for a municipal election. Okay. So those are some examples of uh, ballot correction sure, measures. Sure. And you know, oftentimes what we do is we issue an immediate order with an opinion to follow because, you know, oftentimes we have to literally within hours or days have to direct right. the local election official. Right. You know, can you count this ballot? Do you spoil these ballots? Uh, the absentee, et cetera. And they, they need direction, and then we try to supplement it with a, a decision that explains why. Is there a time limit on how long you have to, to issue your uh, your your uh the decision. Well, you, you made you issued the decision, but the uh, the explanation. No, the explanation could come out whenever the. But the order is dictated yeah. by election deadlines, okay. and frankly, printing deadlines for ballots. Right. You know, because right. that's just the reality of it. Uh, you know, things don't happen immediately, and we do still have printed ballots in this state. Yeah, uh, we do. You know, we're not all electronic by any means, and so we are. We are doing printed ballots and. Uh, finally, on you know the one area where the court gets involved in election law that is uh, publicly notable would be mm-hmm. in the whole election recount issue. Yes, 
Yeah. We've had some big ones over the years. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the Supreme Court has a jurisdiction by statute to address uh, election contests in uh, cases involving candidates for state office. Mm-hmm. And one that uh, listeners might remember is in 2009, the Franken-Coleman right. uh, Senate right. uh, recount. Uh, the 2009, the court appointed a three-judge panel to hear an election contest involving the Senate election. It was Norm Coleman. Coleman was the incumbent. Franken mm-hmm. was the challenger. By statute, the margin separating the two candidates was less than one half of one percent of the total number of votes counted for the office. As I recall, it was like two hundred votes. Too. It, was it was after <clears throat> yes, after canvassing, it was two hundred and six votes in Coleman's favor. Uh, what happened was there was a statewide manual recount uh, ordered, uh, mandatory recount. I was county attorney in Nobles County at mm-hmm. that time, and I remember vividly that day of you know uh, people appointed. Uh, to examine every ballot mm-hmm. with uh, you know uh, representatives of both campaigns watching, it was pretty intense. Um, <clears throat> the statewide manual recount considered previously rejected absentee ballots, and that was one of the com- controversial yeah. areas of that absentee and, ballots. Yeah, yeah, that's that tends to be you know those are counted sometimes last. Mm-hmm. Uh, the election was certified after the recount by. 225 votes in Franken's favor, and then um, after they had a trial, the court appointed a three-judge panel to hear the contest. And after that, Franken's margin uh, bumped up to all of 312 votes. Right, and so that was the that was the final outcome of that. Uh, previously, in December of 1962, the court got involved in the closest race for governor in state history. That was the Rolvag uh, Elmer Anderson Carl yeah. Rolvag Elmer Anderson yeah. um, election. Just that was another dispute over the counting of recording of votes, and that's really, frankly, where these disputes come up. We saw that in Florida in 2000 and yep. the Bush versus Gore case. But after um, re-canvassing uh, Anderson led by 142 votes and after a dispute over amended returns from different counties, the final margin of that uh, election it was 91 votes out of 1.2 million cast wow. in favor of Carl Rolfock for governor. Wow. And man. so those are, those are tight elections, and tight elections happen. I yeah. mean, that doesn't mean there's any conspiracies or anything nefarious. We just live, frankly, in somewhat you know polarized times right yeah. now, and there's yeah. a lot of 50-50 elections out there. So it wouldn't surprise me if we saw some, some stuff after this election. I would not be surprised at all if you guys get a little bit busy after the 8th of November. Yeah, I, yeah. you know, I, I think... I'm just going to put in a plug for election officials yes. in Minnesota. I mean, I've worked with election officials at the state level and at the local level, and I believe our elections are run fairly and, and competently and, mm-hmm. and impartially. Yeah. You know, the local election officials are people that are just trying to do a job. Right. They're just trying to count the votes. Right. And, you know, I know it gets political the farther you go uh, up the uh, chain, but it is been my experience that elections in Minnesota um, have avoided some of the problems right. in other states. Right. Let's right. keep it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Let's keep it that way. All right. We had, we just have a few minutes left, but with, with our few minutes, I want to ask you um, about your thoughts, maybe, and, and maybe some advice to people on the elected judiciary in, in Minnesota. This is a little weird because you yourself are on the ballot this right. year. Um, but we, we have a process in Minnesota. And I don't know if this is the, uh, the way it works uh, just statewide across the country or not. But we elect our, our, our judges in Minnesota. Um, and, you know, 
even for someone like me who's very politically minded and and really tries to pay attention to what's going on and who the candidates are and where you know where they they coincide with my own values i flip that ballot over and all of these judges are on the on the back of that ballot and Gordon, I have to tell you, nine times out of ten, I have to leave those those uh, those things blank because I don't know. And part of the problem you run into there is if it's an, incum- an incumbent who's running unopposed and you don't vote, that's a no vote. That's a vote that counts against the incumbent. Um, so it can be it can affect things. Um, without commenting on the system, unless you want to comment on the system, I suppose. Is there a good resource that you know of uh, for people to go and just sort of look at what they're going to be asked to to uh, to vote on and and at least give them some sort of idea of what they're looking at? Well, Rich, you're correct. Uh, there there is the we we urge people to flip the ballot and look at page two because those mm-hmm. are the judicial elections, and mm-hmm. it's really important that people do a little thinking about that because voters will be asked to vote for the judges that are on the statewide ballot. <clears throat> that would be the Supreme Court justices that are up for election, mm-hmm. <clears throat> as well as Court of Appeals judges, and then in each judicial district, uh, you, you know, voters will vote for the judges within that district, and mm-hmm. they may be from people. For example, you know, we're in the third judicial district here. There could be a a judge from Winona County, Houston County. I know there's a judge from Houston County on the ballot Mm -hmm. that, you know, frankly, without even the lawyers in Rice County might not really have had any reason to get to know. Right. And that's just the way it goes. We don't elect judges by county or where they seat. We, Mm -hmm. We elect them by judicial district or statewide office. I I firmly believe that the process sort of polices itself. If you've got a judge that is that's frankly been in trouble or is trouble, I think you will generally see challengers to that person. Okay. You will see you will see you will see campaigns. If you don't see that, that's that's generally I think a, a sign that there's not an indication by the bar that there's any great concern. But to find out about those judges, I would recommend that uh, that voters go to the state court's website. <clears throat> There's a link on the bottom to judicial officers. Okay. And you can search by county, you can search by district, you can search by court. So, for example, if you want to see the bio- biographies of the judges on the Supreme Court, you could click on that. A third district, you could look at that and see, okay, <clears throat> you know, for instance, Judge King in Olmstead County, you know, she was a public defender before she came on the bench. Judge Storino in Houston County, you know, what was her background? And you can see a little bit of their community involvement. Now, that is not those aren't campaign websites those are that's information on the state judicial um, website <clears throat> some candidates do have websites uh, particularly if there's a contested election there is one in Scott County uh, mm-hmm. the, the first judicial district uh, judge Chuck Weber is being challenged uh, his is the only contested seat out of 105 in the state this year which is extraordinary wow. um, and so judge Weber does have a website you could go to his website and I think his can his, his opponent may as well and you know those are obviously partisan uh, not not politically partisan but they're they're put on by supporters okay. of yes. of the candidate But most uncontested elections don't involve websites or campaigns. I think most judges don't think that it's really appropriate to be doing a ton of campaigning if they don't have a challenger Mm -hmm. on the theory that 
you know, asking people to give money for an uncontested election seems a little awkward. Yes. Um, and, but it does create an information vacuum. I don't deny that. Um, generally, the State Bar Association puts out some information about judges closer to the election. I think one thing I would recommend voters do is talk to attorneys that they might know. Okay. If they have an attorney or if they've got a friend that's an attorney yeah. or for the local elections, you know, talk to law enforcement. Sometimes law enforcement or probation officers, social workers, people that work in the court and they see these judges on the bench and, and on their, you know, in the in, daily basis, you know, it can tell you a lot about the the way that judges handle their business and what type of people they are, um, how involved they are in, in their cases, the community. We have a very good, and this is a little self-serving, I, I acknowledge, our Judicial Selection Commission in the state of Minnesota is very good, frankly, at, at getting people recommended to the governor for judgeships that are of the type of people that we should have on the bench. People that and, belong there. Yes, and people that don't belong there, frankly, Rick, get screened out. Okay. Uh, because the Judicial Selection Commission is comprised of people appointed by the court and by the governor, and they do deep vetting of candidates for judicial positions. They're doing calling, they're talking to stakeholders, attorneys, other judges, law enforcement officers, opposing counsel, and they're looking for character issues, they're looking for temperament questions, they're looking for knowledge, expertise, uh, health-related um, issues that are pertinent to the job. And so that process, I think, really works to right. uh, weed out folks that really shouldn't be on the bench. So if I'm looking at a ballot, um, not necessarily knowing the uh, uh, the decisions one way or the other, or tendencies of a judge, I can be confident that this person has been deemed to be um, Competent and, and, and deserving of a judgeship. Almost all of the candidates on the ballot, <clears throat> with a few exceptions, were appointed by a governor. Yeah. Uh, and it could be, you know, uh, frankly, we may still have some Governor Ventura appointees on mm -hmm. the bench. We definitely have Plenty and and mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Dayton and Walls appointees. We might even have a, a, a Arnie Carlson appointee or two around still. And you can be assured that each of those governors took their responsibility to appoint judges really seriously. And the judicial selection commissions that those governors worked with um, had the same thing. I mean, they, these are merit selection panels that are comprised of, frankly, all-stars. And these are people that our governors are putting their trust in to basically, frankly, not embarrass them and not embarrass the people of the state of Minnesota by right. by putting somebody there right. who shouldn't be there. Right. And so, you know, it, it in my opinion, works really well. Um, that said... The governor doesn't have to appoint somebody from the judicial that is recommended by the judicial selection commission. Um, there have been a few examples of of candidates put on the bench that, that have been outside that process. Uh, that is a lot less than it used to be. But I'll give governor, former governor Cui, uh, the credit. The Cui Commission in the early eighties was yeah. the first effort to put together a body to really screen and look at uh, judicial merit uh, for the appointment to the bench. 
and it's been followed by gov- governors of, you know, well, Jesse Ventura, Reform Party, Republican, Democrat, mm-hmm. have all followed it. And I think it's led to a Minnesota judiciary that citizens can have trust in. That doesn't mean that they're going to agree with every decision made. Of course, they won't. Um, you know, if you're uh, involved in a case and it goes against you, that can be frustrating. But um, in my experience, I, I just hung out with the district court judges at their conference a few weeks ago. These are people that care deeply about their jobs. And in some cases, Rich, these are people that have given up partnerships at, at frankly, large law firms to take, you know, significant mm-hmm. pay cuts because of public service and a desire to serve the people. Right. And I, I think uh, voters, uh, you know, when looking at a background of a candidate, if they see that type of transition, they know that's somebody that is really focused on public service. Sure. Hanging out with district court judges at their uh, conference. I bet that was a barn burner. I bet those people really know how to party. Good. <laughs> it is. It, they are a. They are a great group. And yeah. you know, judges um, getting together. Particularly when I was in uh, outstate Minnesota, it was a, my one chance a year, actually two, there's two judge conferences, to see other judges that I mm-hmm. wouldn't otherwise see. Yeah. And it's kind of a safe space for judges to talk to each other without so. the, you know, without yeah. having to worry about saying something that's overheard in a yeah. public cafe or yeah. something that could yeah. create trouble. Uh, they are they are good people. Uh, we, they have ex- we have excellent, sem- they, the district judges, put on seminars on cases. I'll tell you, that's a little interesting to hear them talk about the Supreme Court's decisions uh, over the past year, and when, when you know when you're part of making those decisions, right. that I never used to be, and so it's you kind of have to sit there and grin and bear it a little uh-huh. bit. They, they make some fun of us uh, <laughs> once in a while, but they are a excellent group. They're a lot of fun, and they're super knowledgeable and passionate people about the, the cause that they're working on, and it's just inspiring to hang out with them for a few days. That's great. Right. Well, we are at the uh, the end of our time, Justice Moore. I want to thank you again, as always, for uh, taking some time and talking with us today. And thanks for taking the time to talk about election stuff. I think that's really important right now. And I, I think that's a conversation that's not had enough. And I think some people needed to hear it. I agree. Uh, it is important for voters to flip that ballot. They can go online right now. For instance, the city of Northfield on their website, you can look at your ballot. Mm-hmm. You can find your warden precinct and you click and you can look at your ballot in advance of going in and you can see the judges that are there. And you could, if you've got the time and the inclination, can, you know, do a little research to say, hey, who am I voting for? Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, no, you're not going to know every judge on that ballot, but, um, Hopefully you'll get a sense of who they are and what they represent. And uh, again, if you uh, if you got questions, ask an attorney, ask a stakeholder. Generally, yes. those people will tell you everything you need to know. Yeah. All right. Justice Gordon Moore of the Minnesota State Supreme Court. Thank you, sir. Uh, and we will be back again on the third Monday of November, which I... Th- think we'll be right before thanksgiving it will be and it'll be post-election so yeah. hopefully we'll if we if there is anything that's gone on that's relevant you know we can if, if we can talk about it we will wouldn't it be great if things just were quiet we just had a really uneventful election everything just went the yeah, way it was just, supposed to I, go and i hope from the administration of the election standpoint that things go smoothly yeah. that's really what's important unfortunately i'm not holding my breath yeah so well, let's, let's right. keep our fingers crossed i guess <laughs> yeah. thank you sir and folks uh, you're listening to 95.1 kymn radio in beautiful downtown northfield minnesota we now return you to our regularly scheduled eclectic and wonderful group of music.